Hey, good afternoon, Doug. How are things today with you? Hey, Tom, everything's going great today here in beautiful Florence, South Carolina. How's everything in Charleston? It's good. It is sunny. I did notice on, on a funny thought that Andrea um, bought us a new, it's kind of a weather toy that has the barometer, hygrometer, and thermometer, I guess is what you right. would call them. Right. And so we've been kind of learning, uh, kind of look at the look at the weather. And he worked for, for Noah, as you know. And uh, we've been watching the barometer. It was up at 30 point uh, you know 30.2 and it has dropped below 30 so that's indicating that the weather is going to start kind of turning a little bit down here so uh but it's still beautiful it's still beautiful well we got ahead of you it's, it's raining so okay. <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're only about two hours apart so uh, i'm glad to catch up with you here before we do this i want to introduce you to a new friend of ours chris panabianco chris may I introduce you to doug smith also known as doug the food guy Doug, the food guy. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Chris, I've heard a lot about you. I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better as we go through today. All right. We'll see if you still feel the same way at the end. Making myself notes now. So, so where are you <laughs> sitting at today? Where, where you're at? I am a transplant from upstate New York. Uh, been up and down the East Coast. Went to school in Greensboro, North Carolina, right near y'all, uh, just outside of Orlando, Florida. Uh, I'm coming your way here in a couple of weeks to be unnamed food distributor having food show. So I'm go. coming down to represent a couple of our clients and look at some new items. Excellent. We'll dial up some good weather. We got the cold weather out of the way for you. We had three mornings where I actually wore pants for the first time in a year. Now that's a thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I, I, Chris, that's so funny because I actually just pulled a pair of jeans out. The other, the other day. Oh my gosh. I wore funny. jeans today too. I mean, I've been Did wearing you? shorts today. I put on jeans cause it's supposed to be rainy and a cold front coming in. So long sleeves yeah. and blue jeans. My Northern roots are just destroyed by living down here. You know, everybody up North doesn't want to talk to me anymore. Shorts, short sleeves, t-shirt, flip flops. You're all yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what, uh, what school is in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina? What college is in Greensboro? Uh, UNC Greensboro. So it's part of the North oh. Carolina public uh, college system. Right. I've actually UNC been there. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus. Oh, it's not, I think it was, it was built in 1908. It was an all women's school until the 60s. And oh. the only bad thing is they didn't have Division One football. So our idea of a good Friday night was soccer or a basketball game, but there was no football. So we had to go to Chapel Hill or to Duke or Wake Forest to, to get that. Wow, that's funny. Never even thought glad, about that, but you're right. There's no football there, was there? No, sir. I'm glad you at least had proper football. <laughs> yes, not soccer, football. Football, <laughs> football. There you that, go. That is good. Chris, I noticed that you have uh, Sam Panabianco and Sons potatoes on a placard. Yeah. Tell is is that family or tell tell us about it that? Is. That's obviously that's a food thing automatically. Yeah. So I grew up in the muck in upstate New York. Uh, they call it black gold for anyone that's into farming. Um, my grandfather and his brothers, they originally started as onion farmers uh, in the 1930s. And gradually he switched, they, they separated uh, their business and my grandfather started to grow potatoes. And when he got sick, my father and my uncle took over the business and believe it or not, 
you know, I know every form of potato. I've had it at every meal. I worked there from the time I was five years old sweeping floors. So that is the second sign they ever had. So that's from the 70s and 80s. My brother found the original from the 1950s. So wow. we kept them. Uh, it weighs about 100 pounds. <laughs> and uh, I actually just brought the logo back. So I'm going to do a design for our family and redistribute that out. But we are rooted in potato farming. Uh, my cousin took over the farm and now he does uh, corn and soybeans. No more potatoes? No more potatoes. That uh, That is a difficult business. Um, but, you know, it put all of our, you know, all of the kids through school and gave my parents a really nice retirement. And it was hard work, though. Uh, my earliest memories are when I was in a crib, seeing my father come home covered in dirt and mud uh, at three in the morning to eat. They had harvesters out in the fields all night long during harvesting season. And he would come in and eat. They put spotlights up on the tractors. And I learned how to drive with one of the old 1940 dump trucks uh, oh. and, and army trucks. So no such thing as brakes. When you're going down a hill, you downshift and then pray. <laughs> you know, uh, I was actually speaking with one of my neighbors here recently, being they were all in the food business. Right now, mid-September through October is when potatoes are harvested. And right. you get the whole year's harvest in about, what, eight weeks, nine weeks, something like that. Correct. And yeah, well, it, so that was for the growers, but we actually brought ours in too. So during the winter, we didn't just take off. We brought them in on rail cars from the Carolinas, from Idaho, from Florida. So that was a whole different side of the business that we would repackage. Oh, okay. um, so it was year round, six days a week and sometimes seven. Yeah. Cause I was talking to my neighbor and he had no clue. He's like, Potatoes are only harvested one time a year. I was like, yeah, you know, in this time window, they put them up in these great big uh, temperature and humidity controlled silos. So, or not really a silo, but those big, long, I can feel what they call them, metal uh, buildings. And they right. hold them there and pull them out as they need them. He was like just blown away. And I was, onions are the same way. You harvest all your onions at one time and store them. And that's why in the grocery stores, when you get, near September, they look a little funny, they a little squishy, they maybe have some brown spots in them, but the new ones will be out shortly. That's right. And, you know, it's so crazy when you break down a potato operation. My father, uh, he just passed away about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And my uncle wrote me a detailed story that I just, I really didn't understand. My uncle handled the sales and marketing and they were a distributor. They worked with, uh, in the Northeast, we had PNC, uh, food stores, Wegmans, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then they distributed out. Um, but my dad handled the operations and I didn't realize how much he changed the way produce is packaged from the integration of technology to new machines. My father could do anything. And so it was really cool to see from end to end how that worked, but no potato went to waste. We had hog farmers that would get the rotten potatoes as they came off the line and were being washed. Those went on to a different belt. Then you had the ones that you might see your potato chips or French fries. If mm -hmm. you see a green spot or a darker spot, those were called culls. Those went another way and they went to the bigger food distributors uh, to be processed. And then you had a multitude of different kinds of potatoes. So we it was an experience, but I tell you what it taught me. Anytime I started to screw around in college, 
I knew that what was waiting for me was either the military or farming. So I, I made Dean's List my last two years of school. And, you know, that really helped me get to where I was today. Oh, that's awesome. Dean's List, too. I, I never was on a Dean's List. Uh, I read one one time. <laughs> I didn't say which Dean. I had a friend named Dean. I was always good on his point. List too. I like <laughs> that. That's good. It was good. I, I was on a list. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't it was the some cops guy named, list. And... Yeah, it was a pro list. It was like pro 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 prohibition probation something like that i'm not sure what it meant i didn't really say i'm not sure what it was but let's say hey well chris what was your dad's name mike uh mike. he was the greatest human being ever um he uh when when he passed it was sudden um but he was a tough son of a gun multiple heart surgeries he was actually uh he was in the cooler which you were referring to uh, a minute ago, Doug. Uh, and we had electric fork, uh, forklifts and he was taking inventory going down the line and the forklift driver didn't see him and backed over him. And it actually crushed his ankle, did a lot of damage to his arteries and his leg. And oh. that tough son of a gun, he turned around to yell and the forklift hit him in the face. So he broke his nose and got a straight nose out of it, which was, you know, he saw the bright side, but that was uh, probably 30 years ago. And he was back on the golf course within a year and a half playing better golf than he ever did. Um, just salt of the earth, gentleman, um, amazing husband, amazing grandfather. Um, I'm so glad that he got to meet my three little kids before he passed. And um, just someone that I modeled my entire life after him. And I, I was lucky. You know, people think they're lucky. I was definitely lucky. And I have an equally amazing mother who is one of the reasons why I moved to Florida. She lives up near the villages. She, she maintains her home there, but she comes down every week. I see her multiple times a week and, you know, just amazing, amazing people. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. We normally wait till the end, but I'd like to offer like, I have sweet tea, but I like to offer a toast to Mike, to Mike. Mike. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs> It is some refreshing water. We, we talk a little bit about yeah. beverages. So you went to college. What did you go to college for? Did you, did you go to college for farming stuff? Or what did you, what, what did oh. that, what, I'm stuttering there. What path did that lead you to? It, it was a journey. So I took some time off. Um, I thought I wanted to be into business, um, business communications, accounting. I took every class imaginable in the Bryan Business School and realized it wasn't for me. And around that time, I wanted to get my in-state residency. So I took a year off, uh, bartended, waited tables. I actually cooked uh, at one point. Um, but I realized that I was very interested in people and the way people behave, the psychology behind retail, sales, advertising, marketing. And so I did a little course correct and graduated with a communication studies degree. Um, from there, I did an unpaid internship, uh, which was about as dumb as I could get. But back in the early 2000s, that's all you could get. And I've, I, I did it with an agency in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it taught me, it, it got me excited. I saw the creative side. I saw the PR side. And then I saw the strategic side. And this is before the internet blew up. This was 2002. And I worked on really cool clients like Starbucks, Square D and Schneider Electric, um, Cooper Tires, Charlotte Pipe and Foundry, but I fell in love. And from there, it was just 
it, it was something that I knew advertising, branding, uh, leadership, communication, speaking. That was my passion. And that's what I wanted to do with my life. You still in the marketing business? Did you continue into that? Did you continue on yeah. did that path? Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting ride. Um, I channeled that. Uh, I moved to Florida and I worked for a motorsports company. Uh, they own stores in Arizona and in Orlando and across Florida. And I, as a marketing manager, I uh, went from that to mortgages. I was the head of marketing for a large mortgage company. And that was before everything fell apart in 2008, 2009. So I saw that ship sinking and took a nice step off of that. Uh, I made really nice connections in the advertising industry here. And they connected me with a mid-sized digital firm. And from that point, I was an account director, account manager, worked with really cool clients like Florida Hospital, Disney, Speed TV, ADT. But then I finally noticed that I was getting pigeonholed into a lot of financial service companies because I had come from mortgage industry. And those paid really, really well for an agency. And it was good business. So I started filling out all the RFPs. And before I knew it, we had picked up seven or eight new clients. And one of them was this little shop that did specialty lending for doctors, dentists, and vets. I had met the owners playing golf and they asked me to come down and present. And before I knew it, I had a quarter of a million dollar contract sold. Wow. And they asked me to take their account. And what I found is I was on the phone with these guys at 11 o'clock every night, non-billable hours. I can say that now enough time has gone by that I wasn't billing them for it. Sure. Um, but they made me an offer I couldn't refuse to come in as their first leader of marketing. And at the time they had about 48 uh, employees. So I started in 2009 with them and just grew up the ranks. Uh, and before you knew it, I was there 13 years and we had grown from 50 employees to 1500. And I went from being the only marketing person to having over 60 people on my team, spending $150 million a year. And BHG Financial is one of the premier fintechs in the country. They were actually fintech before fintech was cool and it was a thing. Um, but it was just an exciting, exciting time. I learned a lot. You know, I learned every aspect of finance, being the only marketing person or non-finance person on the C-suite. And it was just an incredible journey. But after 13 years, it had taken its toll um, and I needed to step away. They took very good care of me on the way out. Um, we had just finished the rebrand from Bankers Healthcare Group to BHG Financial. And I left the team in good hands and they're doing really well. And I retired. Um, I moved to Florida. My father had passed away or had just gotten sick and passed away. And I wanted to get down here. So I took an unlikely path. I was just going to consult and do my own thing. But I met this company uh, called Securit. And they were a leader in... U.S. military firearm storage solutions. They build armories all over the world for the U.S. Hmm. military. Okay. And I didn't own a gun. I inherited some firearms from my father. I said, man, this is an interesting company. Their safes are a lot different than what you would typically see. Uh, Liberty, uh, Hornady, Cannon, you know, the big gorilla safes. Mm -hmm. um, these guys were lightweight storage with all of the intelligence they had developed with the military. And it was a chance to come in and prove myself again. Um, you know, I didn't have any analysts. I didn't have a team and they wanted to rebrand. Um, so I did that for the last year and a half and to come full circle, uh, as of October 1st, 
we sat down and, you know, they didn't need a CMO. And so we mutually agreed to part ways. Again, I'm a big fan. I love the new brand that we put out there and where they're going, but I am going to take the rest of the year and enjoy my family. I have three kids under nine and I just want to have some fun with them and give them the attention they need. And I don't know what's next. I've started a new LLC as of last Thursday called Rebel MKT. Um, I want to look at consulting and branding and speaking and just do whatever the world puts in front of me and do it in a way that is disruptive uh, and not the status quo. I get bored very, very easily. So that's the, uh, the nutshell of me still in marketing, but I'm open to do any kind of consulting. I really love working with small brands, small budgets mm -hmm. where you have impact and there's not a lot of red tape. So I am open to be a fly on the wall for any company in the U.S., well, that, that's quite a story. i tell you what, uh, would you consider that retirement twice? Uh, is this your third, fourth career? <laughs> yeah, it could be. But, you know, my wife is the regulator. And just like you, uh, Tom, I am married to an Andrea. Um, and after about two or three months, she will tell me to go back to work. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so it's more of a vacation. It's a sabbatical. There you go. That That's probably a little better way of wording it. Uh, I've kind of done the same thing. I've rebranded what I do, you know, whether it be working uh, on a contract with somebody or on the clock to now owning my own business. And I don't know that I would ever be able to truly retire because I just enjoy doing what I do. So as long as I'm enjoying it and having fun, why would you not? You know? Right. So it sounds to me right. like you really enjoy uh, taking these little companies and helping them be more successful and finding the way to, plow the field, so to speak of, and I wrote it down. Is it called store it? Is that how, how you said it? Store uh, it? Secure it, secure, secure it. it. Yes. It's secureitgunstorage.com. Uh, we just launched the new website, new logo, new branding. Yeah. Um, very exciting. They've got a ton of new products that I had my hand in. Um, so they're, they're exciting. And then, you know, obviously BHG financial, they have, that's the main brand, but they have eight or nine companies under that, that I ran the marketing for all of those. So whether it's big or small, I, I do have a love for fintech and I haven't said no to future possibilities, whether it's consulting or going back to it. Um, it's just an interesting thing. I love data. I love segmentation and understanding different types of customers and how products solve their needs and just the, the art form of creating content, messaging, strategy, um, all of that. Uh, rolled up into one keeps me going. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's crazy as you know, I'm 45 years old now and marketing's a young person's game and all of the new technology, the new social platforms, how you use it, it, it. It's a scary thing. I've been learning AI for the last two weeks. I've been taking courses left and right uh, on LinkedIn and just trying to keep myself fresh and up to speed. And it's challenging, um, but I'm having a good time. All of the new generative products out there are exciting and and being able to formulate a prompt. It is not dissimilar to communication, really, that when you're talking to someone and hoping that the thing that you say can cause the outcome that you desire. And and so the, so I've had an inside track and it is so exciting. Now, I am certain now for sure 
that uh, uh, Skynet is coming and that the robots, they're going to kill all of us, I'm sure. But I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. <laughs> I'm going to go sliding in on that one because it, it is it is uh, fun to think about. So you talked about uh, playing golf. What's your what's your uh, what's your deal with golf? Where where do you have a favorite kind of uh, place that you play or a favorite kind of course? You know, any course that was with my dad. I haven't played since he passed away. Um, I played two weeks before he died. He was an amazing golfer, up the the most boring golfer you'd ever meet. You know, two hundred yards up the middle off the tee. He knew the he knew what every club would do, and everything. He he was just, he was boring but he was so much fun to play with. Um, I want to get back into it. My, one of my sons, uh, I have twin boys that are eight and he is, you know, my dad made him some clubs. He's a lefty and he had a sweet baseball swing. So I can't wait to get him on the course. Um, so really the course doesn't matter to me. It's the company you're with and people that don't care if you duff a ball or slice it off the tee, I get my money's worth out of every inch of the course. That is That's how I was back when I played golf, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know, all joking aside, I played, uh, somebody introduced me to an orange colored ball, not because <laughs> it was cool, but because you could see the silly thing once it was yep. off the woods yeah. somewhere. Yeah. You Every sleeve I it. have is bright yellow. <laughs> That's awesome. Chris, I'll share something. My dad's name was Mike. And, uh, and the thing that my dad and I did together was played golf. And so, so it's very, very similar. He, uh, uh, he moved on, at uh, 55 a few years ago. And uh, so I really haven't played golf unless it's for work or for fun. Uh, just, just kind of like, like you mentioned there. And so I appreciate that the story and uh, my, uh, uh, my dad was very similar and that uh, he, he said that the clubs are weighted, but the score is not, you don't get a better right, score for hitting right. it with the club. When my dad passed away, um, we had these little memorial cards made and you know, this was probably, and I don't know if you can see this, one of the proudest days. This was his first and only hole-in-one. And, you know, to be able to share that with everybody, it was, you know, my dad, he was a man of few words, very smart words, but I've never seen him that excited except for when he was holding a grandchild. So I always keep that right here every day. I talk to him before I get going and, you know, just a cool, cool reminder. I'm still searching for my hole-in-one. I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, I'm uh yeah, I, I know where it is, but uh it's uh it is it is elusive, is it not? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. fun. So uh so when uh, one of the things that Doug and I now you uh were from upstate New York and uh, moved down into to North Carolina and to what we call the North Carolina, and uh now you live in Florida. So are you a barbecue fan? Do you do you do the barbecue? Oh. Did you guys oh even have gosh. do you have barbecue in New York? I mean, I don't even know if are you guys kidding even me? Have we have there. So we have the Dinosaur Barbecue, uh, a <laughs> chain of restaurants that actually won on Good Morning America a few years back, won best barbecue in the country. Dinosaur, if you in ever New York? get to circus. Yeah. Oh, if you, how cool is that? You, Dinosaurs? Dinosaur <laughs> is it, is it like big giant? <laughs> That's funny. They, they, their logo, they did, they rebranded. I can't stand their new logo, but it was a biker bar and it got commercialized. They It took off. It's all over upstate New York. They had one down in, I think in Brooklyn. Uh, they had one out in Rochester. They they were amazing. It's when I go back to Syracuse, I have family there, and I go back for business. I go to the dinosaur. However, North Carolina, you can't beat that barbecue. I, the mustard vinegar based. To me, there's nothing better. You give me a rack of ribs or some pulled pork or anything, 
with in North Carolina. It's it's out of this world. Florida, the only good barbecue are the roadside barbecue joints, you know, the little huts on the way up to uh the villages or on the way up to Ocala horse country. They're the side road, back country roads where you just pull off, you get some boiled peanuts and you get some barbecue. That's pretty good. But the restaurants, they're they're garbage down here. Um and the one thing I will say now, growing up on the potato farm, you know, potatoes and barbecue, salt potatoes. Most people don't know what the hell a salt potato is. We were at the forefront on our farm for oh, salt is. potatoes. All right. You got my interest. What's a salt potato? It's just a B-sized potato, a white potato, mm -hmm. smaller. And you put them in a pot to boil them and you put a huge packet of salt in with it. And then once you drain it, you put a ton of butter in, you serve it right with the barbecue with beans. Um, we actually, one of my first jobs, I was the idiot kid who was stuck up in a pallet box as the machine. It's called a baker where the potatoes come in, they fill the right. bags, you got someone <clears throat> weighing them. I had to, before the potatoes got in, get a bag of salt in every bag of potatoes. So for anyone that's ever had San Panabianco and Sun salt potatoes, we call them spud lights and there was no salt, that's my fault. Um, so we uh, we pioneered that. There was a competing farm in upstate New York that tried to say they were in charge. Syracuse is actually known as the salt city. Mm -hmm. um, they were pioneers in salt and how that was used in cooking and actually salt farms. Um, so that's how I relate that to barbecue. Totally get that. And, you know, every little barbecue restaurant has their own thing they're really unique and cool about the great part about living in South Carolina is I can from my house pick mustard barbecue, ketchup barbecue, vinegar barbecue. They're all very different, but they're all really good. And they're all, you know, whether it be Eastern North Carolina or so it's you know so much diversity. And I had never heard of this salt potato. So you giving me my homework. I always buy the little uh be potatoes, little small ones, and I'm going to have to give that a shot. So super salt the water and then a little bit of butter is all you do, right? Yep. You boil them with the salt and then yep. drain it, throw a bunch of butter in there, let it melt, and uh, or just put the butter on the side. Not everybody wants to soak their potatoes in butter. And I'm telling you, you put that with some baked beans and some, some barbecue and you, you got yourself a cookout. I'll let yeah, you know how that goes. And Doug will do it. He he will he will definitely let us know. We did something I say similar, uh, but we used to we we called them new potatoes, but they're the red potatoes. Yeah. Uh, and we that's my mom and dad, or I say my mom would cook those and leave them whole. And they're about a little bit bigger than golf balls. I mean, kind of you know golf ballish, less than a tennis ball. Yes. So that's a. I wonder if that was a. a I wonder if that's something that was kind of a similar thing that we would that we would serve uh, with that. I felt like Bubba Gump, you know, if you ever saw, you know, the, the, in the movie Forrest Gump, you know, he sat there and drove Forrest nuts with every way you could cook shrimp. That's how I felt about potatoes my entire life. You know, we had some form of potato at every meal until I went off to college. And then, you know, I, I realized there was something other than potatoes. You found rice. <laughs> Dirty rice, you know, Bojangles. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, buddy. Cheer wine yeah. and, uh, Whew. So Come on, rice. you're bringing it. You are, you are bringing it, bringing it. So uh, one thing that um, I was curious about, uh, do you watch any, watch any sports? Do you have a, a sport that you really like to watch? 
you know, it's called, it could be, some call it a sport. Some call it entertainment. I call it life. I love pro wrestling, like professional wrestling, entertainment wrestling. When I was a little kid, yeah. uh, my I grandmother. heard that in a long time. Yeah. I had uh, my grand, my mom's mom. She was this little four foot 10 German lady off the boat in uh, 1926. Her, she, she actually was a hostess at a famous hotel. I can't remember the name of it in New York city. She met all the professional athletes, the actors and the pro wrestlers back when it was more real than anything. So her family always watched professional wrestling. And when I was a young kid, she took me to see the WWF in uh, the war Memorial, which is an old, they call it the old barn. Now if there's an AHL hockey team, but she took me and I saw Hulk Hogan. Uh, back in it had to be 1986 and I was sold and so every time they came to Syracuse she took me and it was something that I went to college as you guys know in the deep south you know Ric Flair NWA the Road Warriors it was more WCW and all of that but that when I was there from 96 to 02 and that's when the wars were happening between WWE and that so every week there was a live event or a pay-per-view and we would always find what hotel they were staying at. We all worked in the bar industry. So we would go hang out with all of these guys. Now come full circle. I kind of got away from it after stone cold and the rock, but I love the storytelling and it relates back to my, my career in marketing. It's, it's all storytelling and you're creating emotion and connection, whether it's a brand or a pro wrestler that it's the same thing. So now I finally convinced my wife to let me introduce my my kids to wrestling. And she did. And so I always had this t-shirt for the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. And that's mm-hmm. what I called my, my sons. And I showed them some old videos when they were in the AWA back in Minnesota. And they came out to Iron Man from Black Sabbath. My son, Cash, he is obsessed. Not at First, it was with Black Sabbath. And then he got to watch wrestling to the point now where every time all my son does is talk about wrestling and he's got every wrestling character. He's dressed. We're dressing up as a family for Halloween. We're all going to be different wrestlers. Oh, no. um, <laughs> he's Roman Reigns. My daughter is going as Bianca Belair. My other son's going as Orange Cassidy. My wife's going as Becky Lynch. I'm going as a referee because believe it or not, one of my best friends here in Florida and my neighbor, he's a referee for the NWA in his spare time. Um, So I'm dressing up as him. Uh, So you can tell, I mean, I love football. I love college football. I love baseball, diehard Yankee fan, love the NFL, love soccer or football. I I love everything, but I love pro wrestling. And it's something I can share with my kids. My daughter's into it. My wife says she hates it, but she's still looks at it, you know, one eye on it. Right. Um, so just something I grew up with, but I owe it all to my Oma. She was a little German grandmother. Some people call me a dork. I don't care. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. You, know, you got a little Ric Flair though. You know, you got to like Ric Flair. So Ooh. one of my sons <laughs> styling and profiling, limousine yeah. riding, <laughs> jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, you know, all yeah. that good stuff. So you got to love it. Doug, do you have a did you have a favorite wrestler? Do you ever watch wrestling? Ric Flair. Well, yeah. I mean, how could you not no, watch Ric Flair? I, actually, growing up, me and my two cousins, we would watch it together. And it, the p- best part of that is we were into it and it was real. But 
the cousins on the outside that were giving us a hard time. Well, you know, it's fake. It's all make believe. And then we were like, well, let's go outside. We'll show you. There you go. <laughs> that is, we'll that show is you great. how fake it is. <laughs> That's a, I grew up in, in Atlanta and, uh, you know, I say go Braves or go Braves, go home Braves for now. <laughs> and uh, I grew up liking uh, Tony Atlas, Mr. Wrestling, number one, Mr. Miss number two. And the one, one guy, I, I graduated from Stone Mountain High School, and there was one Jake wrestler. Snake Roberts. The Jake the Snake, baby. Stone Mountain, so I don't really know if. So he know really he knows really wrestling. <laughs> but if you bring Jake the Snake have, out, baby, you know. Yeah, I have. So I have up there, you can't see it, but I have a Jake the Snake Roberts, a friend of mine, diehard wrestling fan, gave it to me off of his collectible wall, and it's in Spanish. But it's a plastic Jake the Snake Roberts with a snake. I collect all these things. My wife started buying for me because she's like, I don't know what else to get you. And I don't do baseball cards or anything like yeah. that. But my sons are obsessed with it. So, yeah, Jake, Jake Roberts, what a story. Um, you know, and that's the sad part. These guys, they travel 300 days a year. They don't see their families. They put their bodies through hell. Yeah. And then they have issues later in life. But there's a comeback, you know, Jake Roberts changed his whole life. He got, there was a guy, Diamond Dallas Page that uh, created DDP yoga and he was doing it to heal his body. He had so many injuries. He's taken wrestlers and helped them. Mm. Um, he's taken injured veterans and helped them. So, you know, I'd love to see more programming and money from these big organizations go into that because they bring so much entertainment and value. They're, they're a part of families. And again, there's a lot of people that would be laughing at me right now, but it's been a big part of my life and I, it's the entertainment I enjoy. Just remember, we're laughing with you, not at you. Just clarifying <laughs> my that. My wife okay? laughs at me. Yeah. Right, right, right. That, yeah. that is guest time. So do you have a, just thinking, uh, uh, do you have a drink of choice? I found Two. out last week that, uh, that Doug loves gin. I didn't know that about him, but yeah. he loves gin. Do you have a drink of choice, Chris? I've tried gin and it just doesn't work for me. Um, I am, I, I've, I, I've loved bourbon uh, since I was allowed to drink it and could afford it. You know, not the cheap stuff behind the bar at the corner bar in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, but I love bourbon. Uh, Blade and Bow is a gem uh, out of Louisville, Kentucky. It's phenomenal. It's not that expensive, but I love the history. They do the five keys. That's their symbol for the different parts of bourbon of making bourbon, obviously Blanton's if you can ever find it. I've really, you know, one, one of the, uh, one of the great ones is smoke wagon. It's, it's made in Vegas. I love it. Uh, just a great smooth taste. So I like to do that. And that's, you know, my father and I would have one, but you know, good friends, my brother, some friends will, will share all of that. And then Jefferson's ocean, the aged at sea, um, they put it out. See, the the taste is just phenomenal. They do that because the ship rocks it and it keeps it moving and it creates a, a faster aging. Is that correct? And the salt, the salty air gets right. into that. So you can taste all of that. And it's just, it's a phenomenal, I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, a good friend of mine turned me on to it. And now it, it, it has a hard time staying in my house. Um, well, but the on other a side one. Note, um, I'm on the, uh, I don't want to call it board of directors, but it's board of chefs for our local food and wine here in Florence. And I was just at the meeting yesterday and Blade and Bow is one of our keynote or key sponsors for the bourbon. Really? 
for so for a three day wine event, they're the only bourbon that'll be available. So I'm kind uh, of excited they have about a that. New one. They have a 22 year anniversary. I, I just saw it. I was looking. I was trying to buy some the other day, mm-hmm. um, but it's hard to find. Uh, but yeah, Blade and Bow is phenomenal. Keep the key. Uh, they they have five collector keys that come with it. Okay. Um, I think my kids have stolen half of them. But the other one too, I love Tito's. I, I'm not a big vodka guy, but Tito's is great. The reason why I love it, my wife and I like martinis here and there. Mm-hmm. And we grew, so my wife is into growing. She has, gar- we have three big garden boxes. Um, and then she's got food forests, plants and all that. But we grew our own cucumbers. She <clears> made <throat> the brine and we would use that instead of olive juice and olives. I would use the brine from the pickles and then throw a pickle in. So we would have vodka martinis. We call them the dirty pickle. So we do Tito's and our special brine with our pickles that we grew in our garden. And uh, that's my other guilty pleasure. Andrew and I watched Tombstone the other day. And in that, there's a scene. I, I, know, I was like, smoke wagon, smoke wagon. Where did I hear smoke wagon? When yeah. he talks about, you know, skin that smoke wagon and see what yeah. happens, you know, that sort of a... Uh, does, I wonder if one they, of the I, best I, movies ever. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we watched it. We watched it about once, once a year or so. That's uh. Well, speaking of movies, because uh, I know you just mentioned Tombstone, but when you were talking about martinis, I immediately thought of 007, James Bond. You know, shaken, not stirred, and all that. Shaken. And it was always a vodka martini is what he always ordered. Prior to him doing that, martinis were made primarily with gin. Gin, but. Little known fact, a little company called Smirnoff was having a hard time getting rid of their vodka. So they cut a deal with the movie <laughs> company and it just took off. Now everybody orders martinis with vodka. Who knew? That's crazy. Isn't that Who crazy? I tried, I tried a gin martini and it just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just whatever you get used to and whatever you like, I guess. I'm not yeah. that refined we, yet. Maybe once I give up pro wrestling, I can switch to a, my, a gin. I'll be a little we, more refined. <laughs> That's awesome. We we did uh, the other day. We had a on the we had a, a fellow that that knew Jen very well, and he was explaining a guy named Jack Peterson. He was explaining about Jen that most of us drink that. Hell, Doug, wasn't it like uh, the London Jen that has that London that, dry, uh, London dry that most every night? And, and apparently, with the botan- the new botanicals that are fancy with Jen, there are so many different types of Jen uh, that that are out there that that are new that people that don't normally drink gin, like I do not have, I have tasted some, I'm like, you know, there's no reason that I wouldn't drink this. We had a, a drink at the, uh, the credit one open that was made with a, um, a per, it was like a purple flower or something like that in the gin. And it was absolutely deli- delicious. And I was expecting it to taste like kind of that turpentine kind of weirdness that it has, but it does not. So I'm, I know Doug and I've laughed about, uh, trying gin uh next time we're we're together up at the pd as we call it absolutely so one thing i'd like to ask you chris i, I am amazed at your path and your journey when you talk about business do you think that any of your home training in the potato world um you're moving from different markets how how has that affected you when you began leading a team from leading you know, being the guy that jumps the packet of salt in to leading a team of six team of 60. How did that, how did those things uh, affect your ability to, to, to move with those people? It's a great question. Again, not to make the whole thing about my dad, but seeing him work 
And, but the balance of my dad and my mom, right. You know, my mom took care of us. She was a stay at home mom. That wasn't easy. I have an older brother and sister and I'm by far the best child they had. So it got easier. Um, my mom will admit that when they're not around. Um, <laughs> but going over and watching my dad work, the first thing I noticed is the respect he gave every person. Because let's be honest, the people that were working on that potato farm were mostly middle school dropouts, high school dropouts, didn't go to college. You know, they weren't making tons of money. And my dad treated them like they were all the CEO of a company. Mm -hmm. My dad was shoulder to shoulder with them. And he learned how to do every job that he was in charge of. Like he ran the operation. So he could, if someone was sick or someone got hurt or some anything, he could step in and do a job. So it showed me that number one, you don't live in a glass house. You mm -hmm. get in the mud. And I always say I'm in the muck. That is one of my favorite things. And then once you're there, you, you earn the respect of the people around you, which creates loyalty. And you have to be as a leader, as loyal to the people working for you as you expect them to be to you. And it showed me, because again, whether it's a potato farm or a marketing organization, it doesn't matter. People follow and go and try to do better for people that they respect who respect them. And the other piece is it just taught me hard work. You know, my old man, he never went, you know, without dirt under his fingernails. And, you know, I, I he showed me, I, I always say, you know, I have a run through walls mentality. Nothing's going to get in my way. There are inconveniences, but they're, they're hurdles, right? Mm -hmm. And you can run right through them. And so I took that when I, when I first started with BHG, I was down in South Florida in their office. They had to give me the code, the security code, because I was the first one there and I was the last one to leave. And I just kept that. I took the jobs when I worked for a traditional agency that people didn't want. I took the clients or the RFPs that people weren't, no, that's not sexy. And okay, give it to me. You know, and that was my mentality. It still is. You know, I would get yelled at or it was frowned upon that, you know, oh, you're the CMO. You shouldn't be doing this. Why not? You know, you don't have to reply to every single customer, good or bad, about their experience. Well, why not? If I if I'm promoting this company, I need to have my ear to the ground. I need to go and train in every department and listen. You know, I'm doing that as a consultant. I think that's why I really gravitate towards being a consultant is because I can go in and listen and try to help impact change or be a catalyst for change. So it's a very, everything goes back to that, that, that experience of seeing my father do it, but then having the empathy of my mother to understand what other people are going through and keeping people together. So I think it was a really good one, two punch of just, you have to go after what you want. Nobody's going to give it to you. Um, some people get lucky. I've been lucky with the people around me, but now in the last three weeks, I've learned that I am the CMO. I am the social media person. I'm the creative person. I am the webmaster. I am in charge of SEO. I'm in charge of PR. I'm in charge of research. I mean, I wear a lot of hats now and I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to be a little bit more disciplined, but I'm going to do every job. I don't know what what's next, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to work hard and who knows what's coming, you know, but I'm just going to enjoy it and have fun and have a couple bourbons, make a couple martinis and make sure I can still afford to go see wrestling. That's right. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, 
you work really, really hard, and then you play really, really hard. Right. Chris, I do want to put you a little bit on the spot here with the marketing. Uh, Doug yes. and I are both in the food business, and we do work with a number of different companies. One question that I get when I'm working with the the small to mid growth companies that that are, are kind of in the specialty that we work in that are food manufacturers that when I ask them about what are they doing for their marketing and I ask them say send me send me your calendar send me what you're doing and they say well we did a post on LinkedIn in March and I think we're going to do another one probably for Thanksgiving and of course you know it was an ad can you describe to to me and to Doug what is marketing how can we describe to someone from a position of wanting to help them, what actually is marketing? Excellent question. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> now, it, it it really has evolved from when I started. You know, people look at Mad Men and they think that everything's like agency style. You see movies where people portray, oh, it's this creative, whatever the heck campaign. There's so much more to that. And it's really changed with social media. That's become a very important piece. And I look at marketing as it's branding and it's performance marketing. And then there's a mix of things in there. So branding is what people see and what they think of your company. Performance marketing is getting people to buy or to take that next step. And there are different tactics in each. And there's crossover within what we call channels. So when someone will say, hey, what channels are you utilizing? That could be direct mail. It could be digital. It could be meta. It could, which meta is Instagram and Facebook. It could be Google, paid search, search engine opt to SEO. You know, there's so many factors that cross in and out where you're paying for some or it's non-paid. And, you know, your brand is, you may, uh, if I'm a restaurant owner, part of my brand is what we're known for, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a great pizza restaurant and you're known for the atmosphere or you're known for the customer service or your swag or, you know, something that gets, it's more about here's who we are and here's what we do versus the performance side is where I would go and say, hey, we've got the best pizza in America. We've got these nine different things. Come on in, bring this coupon or click on this ad for something. So it's a delicate balance where I've seen companies and some companies, you look at Yeti, you know, Yeti came out. There's a few different versions of their story, but who in the hell is going to pay $400 for a cooler? A lot of people. It's yeah. a status symbol. They right. focused their first few years on their brand and wow, let's make an amazing product, but let's really tell the story and make people feel like they need to have this product. They want to be a part of a club. That's your brand. Other companies are just, look, I have this product. I can sell it for this. My margin is this. I know my return on investment or my acquisition cost. You know, you're getting into the analytics and the data. Uh, mm -hmm. That's more the performance side. I'm obsessed with customer personas, segmentation. At BHG Financial, I worked with, we had 110 data scientists and they were amazing. They built models for response, models for would they take this loan? Would they pay us back? But every, everyone was a number and it drove me crazy because we could all be the same number, but we're at three different stages and what would we use money for, right? I would use it differently than you might use it. You know, Doug would use it differently than, than Tom would use it. And there was never that story 
or that emotional connection that a brand can create. I think it's a lost art. And I've heard a lot of scuttlebutt about, well, you know, AI is going to take over. It's going to take jobs. I don't think so. There's still a human element that AI can't touch, you know, outside of LinkedIn, where everybody now has a headshot that makes them look 22 years younger. I'm actually going to try that. Uh, I got some wrinkles that need to go away, um, but it's changed. I think people need to focus on the differences and how you can use that. Social media is such an important part in the restaurant industry, but advertising, you know, just sending a flyer doesn't make sense anymore. You know, postcards are cheap. I think people have lost the art, you know, that you got to have a connection. You got to create something that people will connect to. And, you know, it's, it's a difficult one, but that's why there's people like me around. You're breaking the mold. You're creating a, dis- what'd you call it earlier? You're disrupting the market. Yeah. Well, that's where Rebel MKT came from. Right. Um, you know, I've asked people, you know, a lot of people have said when I was with BHE Financial, you know, I have tattoos everywhere and I wear sneakers and, you know, we had to wear suits. I present to 500 bankers and they'd be like, ah, he's the marketing guy. And people be like, man, you do some rebels type stuff for financial services. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And being a rebel doesn't have to be, you know, I'm rising up against the government or anything like that. I'm literally just trying to do things differently. You know, get outside of the box. Think about how you use data. Think about how you communicate to your customer base and be a little edgy. It's okay to have a personality. Look at Wendy's. I think Wendy's has the greatest social media account ever. For those of you that don't know, Every year, people get in line to get roasted by the Wendy's social media team on Twitter or X, whatever it's called these days. That's the kind of brand I want to work with. That's what I want to create because that's who we connect with. You know, Mm -hmm. talk about pro wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the WWE or WWF at the time, they had larger than life cartoon characters. Stone Cold Steve Austin came out and threw out the middle finger throughout Austin 316, throughout the fact that he was going to tell his boss off or give him a stone cold stunner. The glass broke. He wore black boots. He was bald, goatee. Everything about him screamed rebel in a time when no one else was doing it. So again, we can be a rebel in any aspect. You can be a rebel as a restaurateur. You can be a rebel as a father, You can as a mother. There, there's a rebel in all of us. And my job is to bring that out and help people. That was worth the whole conversation right there. The I wrote it down two or three times, the word rebel and what what that really means as you were describing it. I tell you what, that, that was absolutely worth you coming on and talking with us, man. I really appreciate it, Chris. I hate to be that guy, but I got to raise my hand and say I got a flight coming. But man, this has been real spirited and I really appreciate it. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough for having me. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I want to hear all about the salt potatoes, you know, so let's stay in touch. And I'm actually getting ready to launch a podcast uh, in the next 30 days uh, called Perfectly Imperfect. Um, I screw up all the time. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've overcome a lot. Some are still a work in progress, but I want to tell the story of people because a lot of the stuff you see on social media, on LinkedIn, it's all bullshit. Uh, excuse my language, but, you know, there's authenticity and it's okay to not be a millionaire and to not be one of these motivational speakers and just to be a good person and to have a good business and to try hard and to fail. 
it's okay. So I'm going to bring those stories to life. And uh, again, I want to stay in touch with you guys because I'm sure there's probably something in there and bring you guys on my podcast. That sounds good. That sounds good. Chris, before we uh, run out of here, uh, tell me if someone were out in um, in the part of Florida in which you live, out in the neighborhood, where would they find you out in the neighborhood? Oh, man. Uh, I live in Longwood, Florida, which is about 10 miles northeast on your way to Daytona uh, off I-4. Uh, you will find me at a coffee shop, at a barbecue shop. Uh, you'll find me in downtown Orlando. Um, I love the art scene here. Um, you know, anywhere with my kids, you know, that's uh, that's it. Or at a, a, a friend of mine and I are on a mission to find the best dive taco in oh. Orlando, non-chain. Um, so anywhere that serves a taco, you may run into me. Hey, I love a good taco. And I, I know a couple places around here. So if you ever get up this side of the, in the Carolinas, I'll hook you up. There you go. I love it. If I, you that know, if just... I have time after South of the border, a little bit <laughs> South of the border, <laughs> <laughs> about 45 minutes to be exact. There you go. God, you guys got me with that one. That was uh, that was a good one. That was a good one there. That's uh, you can tell. That's great marketing, by the way. Yeah. That, oh. True. <laughs> that we would that we bring up. So if someone were to, so if someone listened to what we were talking about today, if they were a fly on the wall to this conversation, and as you build a, a Rebel MKT up, where would someone spot you on social? Or you're going to have a web page, you're going to be focused in social media, where are they going to find you? Yeah, there's a couple websites I'm working on right now. Uh, it'll be rebelmodemkt.com uh, or reallychrispy.com. Dot com. Those are coming in the next couple of weeks, but I'm on Instagram at really crispy, uh, R-E-A-L-O-Y-C-H-R-I-S-P. Um, most people didn't get it until they say it, but really crispy. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn, which I'm very active on uh, at really crispy. So that's where I'm at. Love to talk to anybody. Um, as you can see, a lot of useless knowledge on this side of the camera uh, that that's awesome okay so as, as we party and run to run down the uh the gangway to catch our flights i want to wish you chris panabianco it's such a pleasure to meet you man i'm so glad that we connected and i was able to introduce you uh to my good friend doug and uh as we part i would like to wish you cheers from charleston here's from florence salute brothers salute cheers thank you chris